0: All right, everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for stopping by. I do appreciate it. Today on the show, we'll be covering The Rock, released on June 7th, 1996, directed by Michael Bay, who is a well known action blockbuster director. He has made a bunch of different movies. They're all very full of explosions and noise and things like that. Uh, He made Armageddon, which I saw in theaters, I believe, and I think that's the only time I've seen it, and it freaked me the fuck out when I was a kid, seeing this as a nine-year-old. So it's like, I didn't pick up on the fact that, like, hey, does it really make sense that they would train drillers to be astronauts instead of training astronauts to be drillers? And So he also directed the first five Transformers movies, and... Neat little tidbit about me. I do not care for the Transformers movies. I think they're bad. Uh, He also did the first two Bad Boys movies. And I also kind of think the Bad Boys movies suck ass. So for the writers, we have David Weisberg, Douglas Cook, and Mark Rossner. For the producers, we have Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. Don Simpson passed away shortly before this movie was released and it's dedicated to his memory at the end of the movie Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer actually collaborate or have collaborated on a lot of things I should say on a lot of different movies and things like that so they did Beverly Hills Cop and I really enjoy Beverly Hills Cop I still enjoy it I've revisited it a few times and it's it's still really fun it's a it's a funny movie and there's just so many great bits and Eddie Murphy's perfect in it they did Top Gun and that one's a classic honestly like i'm not a big tom cruise fan but i'm more than willing to admit that i enjoy top gun they also did days of thunder which is another tom cruise movie and i liked this movie in my childhood and i i, I have never watched it since and i don't think i will because i don't think i'll like it uh, they also did dangerous minds and i have seen that movie once i remember it being not good and then The only thing I do remember every time about that movie is its affiliation with Coolio's song Gangsta's Paradise, which was on the soundtrack, and the video to that song actually featured Michelle Pfeiffer. For the score, we have composers Nick Glennie Smith and Hans Zimmer, and I'm just going to do the ones, I'm not going to do each of them separately, I'm just going to do the ones they've worked on together, so... The original Lion King from 1994, which is a great fucking Disney movie. Mission Impossible 2, previously covered on this podcast. I like, I definitely like the score to that movie. That's one, one good thing I can say about that movie. They did the Simpsons movie. And the Simpsons movie, I think, was pretty decent, honestly. Like, it wasn't a bad movie. It was just like, I felt like it was almost too little too late. It was like, the Simpsons had really run a lot of the well dry by that point last but not least they worked on man of steel together and i like the score to that one but it doesn't have like a real to me like a real signature sound to it it's not like a standout where i hear it and i'm like oh wow that's really a cool melody or you know what whatever music words i'm looking for just so for the cast we have Sean Connery who plays SAS Captain John Patrick Mason and he was in 6 James Bond movies starting with Dr. No followed by From Russia with Love then Goldfinger then Thunderball then You Only Live Twice and then there was a movie that he was replaced in because he had not wanted to do them anymore and he was replaced by George Lazenby and that was only a single movie that George Lazenby did and then they paid Sean Connery a king's ransom to come back for Diamonds Are Forever and I think he like donated his salary for that movie or something but like um and then he was also in he was in what would technically be his seventh James Bond movie in 1983, he came back, but it was like a non-official James Bond movie. But like the guy, basically the story Thunderball, there were a lot of issues with the rights and like who owned the rights to make movies and use that story. And so they made this Never Say Never Again movie and they put Sean Connery in it. And it was basically like a remake of Thunderball and it was, it was not great. It was, and Sean Connery was like way too fucking old at that point. He was also in The Untouchables, which is one I need to go back and revisit. I remember liking The Untouchables despite Kevin Costner not being super great in my opinion. He was in Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. And that is like, it's like, for me, it switches between number one or number two of like the best of the Indiana Jones movies, because without a question, Temple of Doom is three and Crystal Skull is probably four. Based on what I'm hearing about this new one, Dial of Destiny, mostly I've never seen a movie so universally panned. Like Sean Connery was also in The Hunt for Red October, previously covered on this podcast. And that one's also got Alec Baldwin in it. I've talked all about it check out that episode. It was a, it was a couple months back. And then we have Nicholas Cage who plays FBI special agent, Dr. Stanley Goodspeed. <sighs> okay. And I'll, I'll talk about that later. He was in Con Air, which is one of those movies. It's like, it's honestly not even poorly made. It is just like the most ridiculous movie. And there's just so much stupid shit in it. And it's, but it's like, honestly, I can't deny like the excitement of the story and basically like making a movie out of that. Like if it would have been less cheesy, it could have been a really great idea for a movie. And then he was in Face Off with John Travolta. And this is yet another one that's like so easy to make fun of. They've covered both Con Air and Face Off in uh, episodes of How Did This Get Made and it's like i fucking love how did this get made it's a great podcast and like i really love it and that's like really what's what's got me into the spirit of watching so bad they're good movies they're they're really enjoyable to me he was in gone in 60 seconds which is a solid one i enjoy it it's uh it's got a really good cast in it it's just it's nicolas cage and i can only take so much of that guy and like I, there's never been a movie with him And, like, several other actors that I've mentioned over the course of this podcast. And he was also in National Treasure, which is, like, a live-action Disney adventure mystery tale thing. And they're, like, trying to find the Declaration of Independence or whatever. I've seen it once. It was okay. It's just, it's, a lot of people act like it's, like, the best fucking movie ever. And it's like, get the fuck out of here. Okay, so, then we have Ed Harris, who plays... Brigadier General Francis Frank X. Hummel, United States Marine Corps Force Recon. Uh huh. He was in Apollo 13. Great fucking movie. Probably a future episode. Honestly, I love Apollo 13. Great cast, great story, very exciting subject matter. Trip to the moon goes awry, all that stuff. And he was in The Abyss, and I still have yet to see this movie because it's still unavailable on streaming pretty much across the board. I I don't believe it exists on any streaming service. So he was also in A History of Violence with Vigo Mortensen, and that movie was fucking solid. I remember the first time I saw that movie, I was kind of fucking blown away because it, it kind of kicked ass. Last but not least, Fred Harris. He was in Snowpiercer with... Chris Evans, and this is about like a post-apocalyptic, uh, train, like this, this, the whole world is covered in snow, and there's this train that is, is housing all of these different groups of people, and it, it's, it's a very exciting, cool movie, I mean, I was so excited when I I finally actually broke down and saw it, because, like, it's like, I'm sure maybe it's derived from some other work, but, like, I, I just love seeing some level of originality, even if it's not wholly original. And then we have Michael Bean who plays Commander Charles Anderson, U.S. Navy SEAL, and he was in The Terminator from 1984. He played Kyle Reese. Kyle Reese? Yeah, that sounds right. And... That is one of my all-time favorite movies. I absolutely adore The Terminator, and I I love Terminator 2. And, eh, questionable feelings about a lot of the other Terminator movies, but whatever. He was in Aliens, and that one is a great fucking sequel. It's another James Cameron movie, just like The Terminator is. And I I really enjoy Aliens. I do think, like, I, I think maybe I enjoy Alien Just a little bit better than it. Like, I love the the horror suspense of Alien. And it's... Aliens is more of an action movie. He was also in The Abyss. I already talked about this one. Haven't seen it. Want to see it. Not available. And he was in Tombstone. And he was like a, a bad guy in Tombstone. And Tombstone is a fucking great western. One of the best westerns of all time. Definitely one of the better modern westerns that I can think of. Because... They just don't make Westerns much anymore. It's just not a popular genre anymore. And then last but not least, we have John C. McGinley, who plays Captain Hendrix, United States Marine Corps Force Recon. He was in Scrubs as Dr. Perry Cox, and I fucking love Scrubs, and he honestly makes that show. If they hadn't gotten him to be in that show... I, I doubt that show would have even lasted a season. Like it was it, it would have been nothing without him. Even though there are a lot of funny characters, he was like carrying everybody on his back. Like it was fucking ridiculous. He was also in Office Space. He's one of the bobs. He's so great in it cuz it's like it's so like not the kind of role he really plays, you know, but he's such a versatile actor and I just love it. He was in Point Break and I I really enjoyed Point Break and I always find it funny. Now, like, everybody points out that, like, the Fast and the Furious, the first one from 2001, it's, like, the same basic story. Like, not not exactly, like, all of the events of, like, you know, like, basically, like, you take, like, the outline of what you want the story to be, and it's the same between the two of them. And then you're just swapping them out for, like, you know, one is bank robberies and the other one is fucking, uh you know, heists like they're, they're robbing semis on the freeway and shit. And then he was in wall street. And I think this might be one of those ones that's like difficult to find on streaming, but like, I've only seen it once. I don't really remember it. Michael Douglas is again, he's not, he's one of these people I'm not a huge fan of and I could do without. And I think a lot of his movies would be better if somebody else were to take his place. So for casting notes, Arnold Schwarzenegger turned down the role of Stanley Goodspeed because he didn't like the script to this movie. Reportedly, Sir Sean Connery accepted the part of Mason after learning that Nicolas Cage had been cast as Goodspeed. And it's like, okay. Okay, so for the plot synopsis, A military man who sets up shop at the defunct Alcatraz prison holds the city of San Francisco hostage as the government has to put together a plan, including a chemical weapons expert and a former prisoner of Alcatraz to try to stop him. So for the tagline, it's just Alcatraz, only one man has ever broken out. Now five million lives depend on two men breaking in. All right, guys, let's just dive right into the plot of this fucking movie. So I was eager to remember very little of this movie and see if I still liked it after like 20 plus years of uh, since the last time I saw it. I love the fan theories suggesting that this is like a James Bond movie, like a secret James Bond movie where Sean Connery is his aged 007 who has been imprisoned for years because, you know, he got in trouble for finding out too much. And it's just fun to think about it. And I say that it'll never be confirmed, but actually I found multiple articles about, like, Jerry Bruckheimer stating explicitly that it wasn't true. And I was like, oh, fuck you, man. Like, what's it going to hurt to just let that be a theory? You know, like, why do you have to address that? And, I mean, at worst he could say, well, oh yeah, you know, like that's that's a really cool concept. I we I mean that wasn't really what they were thinking at the time, but but you know, that's that's interesting. No, he couldn't do that. So during these opening credits, Ed Harris is gearing up and he's clearly a military man of some sort, and he makes it pretty clear that he's gonna do something nuts to prove a point to everybody. And this score is super 90s action. It sounds like very of its time, but I honestly love it though. Ed Harris's character's name is General Francis X. Hummel, and him and his men are infiltrating a military compound of some sort. The always underrated John C. McGinley, as I mentioned, is with him, and the men are using deliberately non-lethal takedowns to show that they're not monsters, despite that not mattering ever again at all in this movie. It's just, it's like, they don't want to hurt anybody, especially, like, military people, but at the same time, it's like, it has, it doesn't mean anything. Like, it, it it's like, later on in the movie, they're killing people left and right. Or they're willing to kill people left and right. So it's like, fuck off. So they steal a chemical weapon that contains green balls that hold toxic liquid. And one breaks and disperses deadly gas that makes the these people that are in that vicinity break out in, like, boils and stuff, and, like, they're screaming, and they're in agony, and it's it's a really fucking rough scene. And now we're with Stanley Goodspeed, which wins this episode's award for the dumbest name by a sizable margin. He's dicking around with his co-worker, shooting toy dart guns in an office, and he's given a package that has a Beatles record in it that has been delivered to his work for some reason. Why are you getting it delivered at work? Why, why wouldn't it come to your house? What, what do you think? Like maybe, maybe because like back then a lot of packages still required signatures and stuff. So maybe he, he thought it was an easier way to get it and, you know, not have to worry about whether or not he could sign for it. I don't know. Anyway. So Goodspeed is a chemical weapons expert and is called down to look at this box in this lockdown chamber that they like got delivered somewhere and, And they want this crew to check it out for if it's got anything lethal in it or whatever. And they're in this lockdown chamber and like these really huge protective suits and stuff. And it's like him and his partner there, basically. So the two men discover a doll and Goodspeed warns the other guy not to mess with this doll. Like he's dicking around with it and stuff. And it starts to release toxic gas and they also find some C4 in the box and Everybody has to evacuate, all that stuff. Of course, Goodspeed is unorthodox and doesn't do things professionally or by the book, really. But he figures out how to defuse the bomb. And Goodspeed is at home later where his girlfriend says that she's pregnant. And despite Goodspeed being a knob about it at first, they still get engaged. And she's visibly upset by how he reacts to the pregnancy news but is seemingly not upset that she's having Nicolas Cage's child or that she had sex with him or is in a romantic relationship with him. So, what's your deal, lady? Hummel and his men take over Alcatraz, also known by some as The Rock, copyright 1996. His men take the tourists as hostages and set up shop. Hummel tells his men his plan and promises them a million dollars each when they succeed but like did they all really not know the plan that was at play here until they already got this fucking far into it and they're already on Alcatraz are you like on the island are you fucking with me Harris was a fucking perfect choice to play this angry deranged Hummel who calls the authorities to explain the situation like you really believe with Ed Harris that like he would be a good, high-ranking military man, and he would be great. And you also believe that that his anger about the things he's angry about would make sense. Basically, he calls the Pentagon to explain the situation, give them his demands, what have you. The Pentagon, they're all getting briefed on what the situation is. And Hummel explains to them that throughout his career, he has seen his men and other men, other military folk get fucked over and like they, they don't get benefits. Their families don't get benefits when they die, when they get injured, things like that. And he's just fed up with it and he, he, nobody's done anything about it. So the deal is they either give him the money or he attacks San Francisco with his scary green balls. Yeah. That's the kind of joke I'm going to be making repeatedly in this episode. Okay. The authorities basically have no viable countermeasures and must consult with Goodspeed, Nicolas Cage's character, to come to San Francisco, who assumes it's a training exercise or some shit, so he invites his fiancée along, not thinking anything of it. So one of the authorities pitches using John Patrick Mason, who is a former Alcatraz inmate who is actually supposedly the only man to have ever escaped the prison that anybody knows of and they want him, They want Mason to give, like, insight on the facility and, like, help them understand how to get in there undetected and stuff like that. So Mason's been locked away for decades because he stole the government secrets that he did, and they haven't killed him because they haven't found where he hid them. They interrogate Mason to no avail because William Forsyth is being a dick, and that's kind of the M.O. of William Forsyth characters. And if you don't know, I mean, like, Hopefully I put a picture into the video right now and you can see him like it's like he's really familiar at least to me but I I can't even think of like what other movie he's in but like if if you told me he well he's this guy in that and I'm like oh yeah you know like that that that's the kind of thing. So after Mason says he doesn't care about what'll happen to him if he doesn't help they just basically tell him he has no choice in the matter and so the men send good speed. So this is the FBI and it's Goodspeed is an FBI guy as well, and he is the the chemical weapons expert. He has no experience with this shit. And so it's like, he has no business being in this room with Mason and trying to talk to him. Mason is way too intelligent and and intuitive to let that happen. So the first thing Goodspeed does when they send him into the interrogation room is they take off his, or he has them take off the his handcuffs and... I think maybe ankle cuffs or whatever, and I think in The Fugitive, they said that those were called leg irons, but I don't know if that's a universal term. Anyway, I I don't know, like, he, he gets him a cup of coffee, and it's like he's trying to downplay his background so Mason doesn't figure out who he is, but Mason knows almost immediately that he's not good with this type of shit. So Mason demands a hotel and shower and haircut and some other shit. And he breaks the one-sided glass in the interrogation room to find a familiar, unfriendly face in this guy, Womack, who is the head of the FBI now, but Mason knows him from, like, the 60s. So, they're transporting Mason, and he overhears Goodspeed telling his fiancé not to come to San Francisco, and Mason knows something is going down, and it's pretty fucking serious if it's, like... He doesn't even want her in the city. So at the hotel, Mason orders fucking room service to distract the agents. And then a stylist comes and he cuts Mason's hair, which must be pretty fucking difficult with him having a wig on like that. Trust, like, as far as I know, all but maybe one of the James Bond movies Sean Connery had to wear a hairpiece because he's fucking bald as shit. Mason takes the guy Womack that he recognized in the interrogation room and throws him over the railing of the hotel balcony and dangles him from a string. And so Mason manages to make a break for it while everyone tends to Womack and make sure he's okay. And this inexperienced dipshit Goodspeed goes after him. And Mason's in a hummer he stole and everyone is in regular police vehicles pursuing him. Except for Goodspeed, who commandeered a sports car. And Mason is causing chaos and destruction on the streets of San Francisco, and he's managing to lose a lot of the pursuing vehicles. And I gotta say, I really love this chase quite a bit, despite it, I'm not a big Nick Cage fan, as I said. I do prefer his character in this being inexperienced but intelligent. And originally, like when I recorded, I was gonna do True Lies and The Rock. And then, like, I decided I was gonna start doing video, and so, like, I separated them. But, like, it always annoyed me. In True Lies, it was like, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character was, like, fucking perfect. He did everything right. He knew exactly how to do everything. It was ridiculous. And I I like a a, a lack of that, you know? I, I like for Goodspeed to not be macho man, whatever, so... Mason tracks down his daughter, and her name is Jade Angelou, and she's played by Claire Forlani, who I know best from Mall Rats, and that was previously covered on this podcast, it was a Trading Ratings episode. He finds out that her mother is dead, and talks with her briefly, and mentions that she's one of the few bits of proof there are that he even exists, And Goodspeed has tracked him down, but he plays it cool and doesn't interrupt the conversation and just kind of stays back far enough that they don't notice him right away. So Goodspeed does Mason a solid by letting the daughter believe that Mason is actually volunteering to help them, and Mason starts to like him at this point quite a bit. So you might be wondering how, if Mason had his daughter on the list for next of kin, Why they didn't track her down and use her as leverage to get information from him. And they just explained it away as her not being born yet when they captured Mason. But still, how did her info get on his file if she wasn't born? Who put it there? Why did they not ask any questions about who this person was? So Mason's actively assisting authorities now, but they still don't want him to attend the trip to Alcatraz because he's such a wild card. They know it's so likely he'll try and escape. So Goodspeed tries to explain the weapon and they make it clear that he has to go with them to defuse it. They can't just tell these other guys. It makes no sense to not have Goodspeed tag along on this thing. So Goodspeed is in the restroom puking because he's freaking out about this mission and everything. And William Forsyth gives him a pep talk and assures him they'll get his fiance to San Francisco safely, even though he knows she'll still be in grave danger. So Hummel is getting impatient when talking to the authorities as Michael Bean is getting ready and rallying his men to infiltrate this place. And Mason watches Goodspeed who is visibly nervous as they're like taking a helicopter ride to their drop point and a bit later Mason reveals to Goodspeed that he knows he doesn't have any of the experience he's represented himself to have so it's like okay like yeah, Mason's, Mason's not dumb. And so Goodspeed's fiance gets picked up and gets impatient when they won't tell her what's going on. So she walks out of the vehicle and they have to go after her. But literally nothing comes of this. And they just re-apprehend her and take her to the command center thing. And it's like fucking pointless like I don't I cut that from this fucking movie it doesn't need to be there so on Alcatraz the bad guys are very aware of the fact that the move is being made to infiltrate the island and it seems like if you're Hummel you would just launch the bomb immediately because what else are you supposed to it's like clearly they're not going to fucking give you what you want if they're planning this attack and you're going to be even more pissed off if they even just fail. The men get inside Alcatraz and are seemingly trapped in this room and Mason has to sneak through this fiery crawl space and lets the men out despite their fears that he would just flee once he got through. So Mason leads the men through the facility with only a grasp of distances from one point to another as measured in paces from when he escaped all those years ago and they're using snake cams to check rooms. And there are all these motion sensors that the bad guys have set up. The room is above their location that they're looking into. So they're looking through a floor drain and they accidentally trip one of the sensors and they alert Hummel's men. And the tension is very well built in these sequences. And I really find myself getting excited for all this, all of this action that I know is coming. So the quote-unquote good guys end up in a standoff with Hummel, and the score is fucking wailing, and Michael Bean and many of his men die. And honestly, it's it's a bummer. I love Michael Bean, and I I I just I wish we got more of him and more stuff, but it just doesn't happen. So one thing I need to point out is that Mason and Goodspeed are hiding in the room below where the action is, and Hummel is not aware that they're in there. It's It seems like it's kind of like a sewer almost, you know? For some reason, Hummel doesn't just say, well, it seemed like these guys were coming out of this grate in the floor. Maybe we should do something to make sure that there aren't any more guys on this team that are hiding down there. You know, he doesn't do that. He just kind of Acts like nothing's nothing's awry or anything. At the command center, they assume that the mission is fucked, but they find out that Goodspeed and Mason are still alive, and Mason is seemingly leaving. At this point, he's like, "Fuck this! You know, we're we're toast." And Goodspeed is being told to go after Mason and stop him, but Goodspeed is always way out of his league when confronting Mason. Back with the authorities, Womack reveals that Mason was held without a trial for decades because he knew a lot of major government secrets. And Goodspeed tries to get through with through to Mason, but Mason sees through it and like he asks for Mason's help since his only expertise is just defusing these bombs. He uh, these bombs. It doesn't. He doesn't have any other skills in this aspect so so Hummel's men hear them talking and they go to great lengths to try and kill them with explosives and it doesn't kill them because it'd be really bad storytelling if they died like an hour into the movie our heroes I mean so Mason seems on board with saving the day now and we get a shootout in this old file room and They go where Hummel has stashed the chemical weapons for rockets, but I guess Goodspeed's just going to try and defuse them right then and there, but these green balls are so dangerous and volatile that they have to very carefully handle them because if one of the balls breaks, it'll kill them in 30 seconds like it did the guys early on in the movie. So Hummel figures out that Mason and Goodspeed are still alive and comes to attack them And this is while they're working with the gas and it's very dangerous situation. And they end up in like this mine car ride or cart ride, like Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom or some shit. It's, it's kind of crazy. It seems like Mason is forced to be the one to come up with every fucking bright idea. And it's just frustrating because it's like good speed should be at least like clever, you know, he shouldn't just be a complete idiot. So the action is well choreographed and executed, and I just don't know where Michael Bay went wrong, because he he's become like a caricature of an action director. So Mason and Goodspeed manage to get the best of Hummel's men and continue on, and I should probably mention that Goodspeed stole the guidance chips from those weapons so that they can't really use them for what they want to use them for. The two heroes split up, and basically, like, Hummel is threatening to kill a hostage or whatever if they don't bring back those chips and the when they split up mason goes directly to hummel and it's like he 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 claims that he's the last one like everybody else is dead you know it's just mason and mason just criticizes hummel's logic of killing innocent millions Since it doesn't make sense and they take Goodspeed and Mason and lock them in a couple of cells because they catch Goodspeed. So Goodspeed is carrying on about his frustrations and Mason just fucking breaks them right out. Like he, you know, he fashions something out of the the bed sheets in the cell and just manages to like loosen a a latch or something and it, it sets them free. So Mason mentions that the only reason they never killed him is because he refused to give them the secret microfilm with all of these government secrets on it. And Hummel is talking to his men as the critical hour approaches, and some of them are getting a little fucking hostile and impatient, it seems. So Mason and Goodspeed escape their cells, and the Pentagon asks Hummel for more time, and he tells them that they have three minutes A bad guy catches good speed, and he tries to tell this bad guy how dangerous the weapon is that they're using, but Mason just takes the bad guy out, so it didn't matter. They launch the first missile, and it's headed right for the football game in Oakland, which is apparently being played in front of the smallest NFL crowd on record. And I mean, I don't know how good Raiders games were attended in the 90s, but like, they had to be better than this. It looks like almost an empty stadium. Like, it looks like they paid five extras to sit in those stands. So Hummel redirects the missile to explode in the water at last minute, and this pisses his men off pretty bad, because it just kind of basically says, like, he got his bluff called. Like, he he doesn't actually intend to do what he's saying he's going to do. So Hummel's refusing a, requ- a request for more time from the Pentagon, but it's like, Do you or do you not want to kill countless innocent civilians, bro? Fucking make up your mind. So anyway, I think I just spotted... I did. I spotted Jim Caviezel. I I put it in my notes like that because I didn't look it up at the time. But I spotted Jim Caviezel piloting a fighter jet. And that's kind of exciting. And I confirmed it with Google. And I, I even got the picture that you are either seeing right now or just saw. So Hummel's men confront him for wussing out. And there's this big mutiny. And there's like this all this gunfire, and basically, like, they're, they kill Hummel, or, like, he's dying, basically, and Goodspeed manages to, like, get the information out of him of, like, where the last weapon is, and he tells him it's at this lighthouse. Goodspeed goes to this fucking lighthouse, and he he just, I mean, Mason sticks around to stave off the bad guys, and, the the guy who plays the original Candyman, I can't I can't fucking remember his name. But anyway, him and Goodspeed have kind of like a showdown in the lighthouse, and they're you know he's trying to dismantle his weapons, and it's him, and then like other bad guys show up at some point. But ultimately, Goodspeed makes an Elton John reference to him, where he asks if he likes the song Rocket Man, and the guy Candyman's just like no. Like, what, what the fuck is this? And Goodspeed tells him he is the rocket man and fires the rocket at him and kills him. This exchange is probably the dumbest moment of the entire movie by a long shot. So there's a lot of scrambling around and Goodspeed kills another bad guy and and he does it with the green balls and he puts a green ball in this guy's mouth and then he has to like, Time giving himself the shot like I think it's like an adrenaline shot or something so he survives it like so it doesn't kill him and and so like that's how he takes that bad guy down like fucking making him chomp into a fucking giant green ball so good speed sets off some flares and they don't see him in time and they bomb the island and it's, it's not looking good. Goodspeed almost dies. He, like, gets thrown way out by the explosion, but he ends up landing in the water, and he's safe. And so he radios to tell the authorities the hostages are alive, and Mason had saved him from the water. And basically, he he leads the authorities to believe that Mason died, and he's he's just gone. You know, he, they don't need to worry about him. It's it's over. He, he's dead. And so... Mason before he leaves because he appreciates what Goodspeed has done for him so much he gives him the secret location of the microfilm with all of the government secrets on it and it's somewhere in the middle of fucking nowhere in like Kansas or some shit the the FBI guys come like William Forsythe and this Womack guy it's like he they come and talk to Goodspeed and they want to see Mason's body but Goodspeed says it was vaporized, and Womack is like, whoa, a body can just vaporize like that? And Goodspeed's just like, yup, you betcha, and Womack is just, I believe, supposed to be the head of the fucking FBI, if, I, I, I've tried to look into it, I am pretty sure that is like, he is the number one guy at the FBI, and he could not possibly be that dumb, so, good speed, you know, he and his fiance go get the microfilm and the movie ends asking if you know asking the fiance if she wants to know who shot JFK and we roll credits without ever knowing the answer, but I think we all know who really did it. So anyway, uh, praise for this movie. Honestly, a great action movie. It's got a great plot. It makes you question your loyalty to some of the so-called good guys. Sean Connery is fucking great in this, as he frequently is. He often doesn't know how to pick the right roles, and luckily this one worked out well for him. Ed Harris and even Nicolas Cage put on very stellar performances, and I actually do enjoy this score. It's pretty fucking well done. For criticism, honestly, I still say the problem is Nicolas Cage. You swap him out with any number of lead actors, and this might be an all-time great for me, but it's just not that because of him. So, For trivia, Quentin Tarantino and Aaron Sorkin are among the uncredited screenwriters who did rewrites on this script. Sir Sean Connery insisted the producers build a cabin for him on Alcatraz, and he just didn't want to travel from the mainland to the island every day, and he got what he wanted. According to director Michael Bay, the script was written much more straight and serious than the final movie. Most of the humorous moments and lines were improvised during filming. Some of the Navy SEALs in this movie were played by real Navy SEALs. It was Nicolas Cage's idea that his character would never swear... Michael Bay's idea for a sequel involves a now-married Goodspeed in possession of the microfilm evidence, who finds himself pursued by the government, and with nowhere else to turn, he's forced to ask Mason for help. I feel like maybe that's kinda sorta not gonna happen now, what with the whole Sean Connery being dead thing. So in the scene in the interrogation room where FBI agent Goodspeed introduces himself to Mason... John replies, but of course you are, and this was exactly the same line he used when he met plenty of O'Toole, I should say Sean Connery used when he met plenty O'Toole in the casino scene in the James Bond movie Diamonds Are Forever. So, this movie marks the third time that Michael Bean has played a Navy SEAL. The first was in Abyss from 1989. The second was in Navy SEALs from 1990. He did say, however, that he found himself freezing up when acting as a leader to the real Navy SEALs, as well as co star Sean Connery. I could imagine that's intimidating. For info and ratings, we have a runtime of 136 minutes. This movie is rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America. Budget, 75 million. Opening weekend, 25.1 million. Worldwide gross, 335.1 million. IMDb rating, 7.4. Rotten Tomato Critics Score, 68%. Rotten Tomato Audience Score, 85%. Personal rating, four out of five stars. I really do enjoy this one. It's a great 90s action movie. It's just, it's got certain flaws I just cannot overlook. I, I, like I said, I think it could be like a five out of five if it had one different casting, one different casting call. So, all right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoy the episode today. I, uh, I went a little longer than I think I wanted to, but I'm going to, I'm going to see what I can do, you know, studio magic and stuff with editing. So, Have a good rest of your day. Bye now. Brandon at Random Reviews artwork, theme music, and podcast are written, performed, recorded, engineered, directed, and produced by Brandon Griffiths in association with Brandon at Random Reviews Entertainment.